0: Today we're continuing in our sermon series through the book of 2 Timothy. I hope this book has been as formative for you as it has been for me. This short book packs such a punch in just one chapter even. In the first chapter, we're just now entering into the second chapter, it'll be our second week in it. But in the first chapter, what we saw is Paul's big themes that he wanted to address with Timothy. And if you remember, he's writing this letter to his beloved disciple, his son in the faith, the person he loves so dearly. And he's writing in a place of great turmoil and trial because he's in either prison or house arrest, but either way, he's facing death very soon. He recognizes that his clock is running out, that martyrdom is awaiting him. And so he's writing this letter to ask Timothy to come and visit him, but he also sends him words of pastoral encouragement and advice just in case Timothy doesn't make it. And what we've seen all throughout the first chapter is that the primary theme of this book is how to remain faithful amidst trial. How do we stay faithful to our Lord Jesus Christ? even in the midst of impending death or persecution or loss or any form of trial, how do we stay faithful to Jesus when suffering and trials occur? And, you know, I think we all recognize that in order to be faithful, in order to last through a trial, you need some form of training in advance, right? If you wanna run a long race, you can't show up the day of the race and it's gonna be just fine. It won't be. Uh, You know, if you're gonna take an exam, you have to study like crazy. I remember my first semester at Purdue University and I didn't really realizing what university level studying was. And I failed my first physics exam miserably to the point that I just filled in the Scantron and walked out. I did not prepare for this. And my high school, my failing poor rural high school did not prepare me for this either. I had no preparation. You know, time and time again, we recognize in life that when we face a trial without preparation, we often fail in the trial. And I wonder if Paul's level of peace, his level of conviction in the gospel, his ability to face suffering would have been similar had he been converted the day before he went to prison. I think we can all recognize that he went through a long season of life of preparing for a season of trial and faithfulness. And here is my hunch for people in this room. I wonder how many of you look at others who face trial with faithfulness. Those who experience persecution or experience great loss and yet still maintain the goodness of God. You look at them and you wonder, Would I be able to remain faithful the way that they've remained faithful? Or would I crumble under the grief of this world? You wonder if you're prepared to face trial. Now, what often happens is, well, I don't want to get into that. So here... Yeah, I don't want to get into that. Here's what I want to encourage you. Most of you are more prepared than you think, actually. You know... I'll quote something from a movie I won't quote. You can get punched in the face and you realize you're not made of glass. Most of us are a bit more prepared for trial than we think. But the point still remains, how do we prepare for trial? How is it that God has formed his people together in a long season of training so that when we face trials, we remain faithful to Jesus? In, In today's passage, we see two ways that we are formed so that we can face trial. First, we are formed through remembrance. We are a people that are called to remember who God is. And especially in a season where we face a trial and we wonder if God is good, often all that we have is a long history of remembrance of who he is and who we are in him. We are called to be a people that are steeped in remembrance so that when we are tempted to forget who God is and who we are, we are able to remember by the Spirit. And second, that remembrance is only formed in us by the power of the Word. It is not an act of the will. It is an act of the Word through God's people by the Holy Spirit to form in us remembrance. So today I want to look at two things, the power of remembrance and the power of the Word so that we may remain faithful when trials come. So if you would turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. The first thing that you should notice is this call to Timothy to remember, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, but it should strike you as surprising. Why would Paul need to encourage Timothy to remember I mean, this is Timothy, for goodness sake. He's a priest in the church. He's an elder in the church of Ephesus. If anybody should know how to remember, it's Timothy. But here's here's what many of us don't realize. Do you know what the primary sin of the Old Testament was? When you look at the Israelites, do you know the thing that, that led to their sinfulness over and over and over again? We often think it's idolatry, We often think it's covenantal unfaithfulness. Those are symptomatic of something that happened prior. What we see repeated again and again in the life of the Israelites and then repeated in the life of the disciples is forgetfulness. We see it especially as the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness. In Exodus chapter 16, verse 3, what do they start saying? They start grumbling to Moses that life was better in Egypt right? They have already forgotten the terror of slavery. They've already forgotten the mighty delivering hand of God. They've already forgotten that he has provided for them every step of the way and they pine to go back into slavery. You know, this is actually an, a, micro, a, a, a macro image of our micro problem, right? Is, I've taught you this multiple times. I hope it's sunk in that that image of being caught in slavery in Egypt is the image of being caught in sin. And what often happens in our sin patterns? We forget the damaging reality of sin. We remember that it had some moment of temporary comfort or temporary sense of control. And as the Proverbs would say, like a dog returning to its vomit, we forget how terrible sin is, going back to it again and again and again. Because we are a people that forget who we are and we forget who Jesus is. We saw it in our gospel reading today. The disciples are caught in this great storm. They're on the Sea of Galilee. And if you notice, the Sea of Galilee is like in a bowl. There's hills on every side because it's, it's beneath sea level. So you can't really see storms coming. It's like being out here in the mountains. You think you're totally fine and then a storm's upon you, right? A storm comes, they're freaking out, and they forget that the one who spoke creation into existence is sitting in the boat with them. Now, maybe they haven't hasn't really dawned on them fully yet, but they know he's someone important. They know that he can do things nobody else can do. They forget who he is and they forget who they are. And what does Jesus do? He stands up and he calms the storm. The sin that we see repeatedly in the life of the people of God is forgetfulness. And it happens again and again when the trials of this life come upon us. So the question still remains, how do we follow Paul's exhortation to remember Christ Jesus? How do we remember him? Well, I can't go into all the different ways, but here's just one thing. This is why it's important to go to a liturgical church. This is why we're a liturgical church. We believe in the power of the liturgy, which are these repeated practices we do every week, because we recognize we are a people that forget again and again who we are and who Christ Jesus is. And so week in... In week out, we need to be reminded that we are a people who are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. So we celebrate the Eucharist every Sunday. We need to be reminded that we are a people who are reconciled to one another. So we pass the peace every Sunday. We need to be reminded of the great scope of history. So we repeat the creed every Sunday. We need to be reminded that we are a people who sit under the word of God and have the privilege of receiving the word of God. So we read God's word and preach God's word every Sunday. We are a people who are prone to forget and therefore we are a people who need to be reminded every Sunday who we are. Now I'm not saying non-liturgical churches aren't churches or aren't good churches. There are plenty of good ones. But I do think their anthropology is deficient. How do we learn? Anthropology is a fancy word for what it means to be a human, by the way. How do we learn? We learn through repetition. Right? You say I love you to your child every day. Right? So that the day that you don't show them a whole amount of love, you're like, oh Lord, just remember, remember what I've been saying every day. My toddler pulled the storm door off yesterday. (laughs) Remember, I say I love you every day, right? We have to teach our kids how to do their times tables by repeating them over and over again. You run plays on a football field. I had a friend here, I won't say his name. He really didn't like football. He said rugby's a better sport. And I said, no, no, Lanny, I'll say who it is, Lanny. I said, what it is, Lanny? (laughs) It's chess with giant men. He said, yeah, why do they make the coach so important? Because he's that important. All right, why? Because they run the play over and over and over again. It's a chess game of trickery, right? With giant human beings. They run the play again and again and again and again so that they know exactly what to do when the time comes. We are a people of repetition, right? We need this. But let me bring this down all the way to real life. Many of you remember a great tragedy our church went through when we lost a young dad who fell off a mountain. And we walked with his wife and his newborn son until he was a toddler. And she moved away about three years ago. And maybe some of you remember her testimony. And her testimony to us was, I kept coming to church because you all kept me in the faith by reminding me of who I am week in and week out, who God is when I just couldn't see him. When my faith was gone, your faith carried me through that season. That is why we have to remember together. Because there are some of us in this room who this week are prone to forget because of the trial they're facing. That's why we need to have one voice to proclaim one gospel truth of who our redeeming Savior is because so many of us are facing trials and in those moments, we can't see his goodness. So we rely on one another to preach to us, not from me, from one another, to preach to each other who our good God is. How we remember is we remember together. This is why being a part of the church is so significant. This is why we grieve our friends who are still Christians but outside of the church. I don't know how you remember that way. We need one another in order to remember who we are and who our gracious, redeeming, sanctifying Savior is. But I also want to make another quick point before I move on. We, we need this every day. It's not simply that we need it in the liturgy. We need it every day. We need to be a people who are saturated in God's word every day. This is what the Shema says in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. What is this saying? God has always known that his people... In order to remember who he is and to remember who they are, need to be a people who repeatedly enter his time in his word and in time in conversation with him. We are a people that need to be in communion with God every day. Now, I'm not saying you have to read your Bible every year on the year, I can't do that. I actually think it's often, for most of us, it's better to actually spend a lot of time in one text and just ruminate on it with God and allow him to speak. But whatever it might be, I do think that we need a resurgence in the life of Christians of daily devotion. There, were, there are many of us that were raised in an overly legalistic understanding of daily devotion. Right? It was an obligation and a chore. And so many of us have become Anglicans, frankly, to get away from that. Okay, that's fine to go through that process. I wanna encourage, okay, but you can't stay there. We are a people that need God's word daily. We are a people that need to be saturated in remembrance every single day. So my prayer for you is, what, or my question for you is, what does that practice look like? I don't think it's the same for every person. I don't think there's a boilerplate answer, but there is a necessity because we need not only weekly remembrance, but we need daily remembrance. And then the final thing I wanna say is we need yearly remembrance. And this is why the church calendar is helpful, right? Is the church calendar laid out in Holy Scripture? I was raised Reformed, I'm still very Reformed, but this is one piece where I'm not entirely aligned with Calvin. Is it laid out perfectly in scripture? No. Did those events happen? Yes. Are human beings created to remember special days? Absolutely. When we look at the Old Testament, what do we see? We see special days marked out all over the place to celebrate, to remember, to mark that our calendar is not dictated by sports seasons. It's not dictated by, you know, weather seasons. It's not dictated by the school calendar. It's dictated by his calendar. His calendar of remembrance. His calendar that says it's good for you to come together and remember that I've redeemed you every week, but it's also good to go and stare at the cross once a year collectively on Good Friday. It's good to celebrate Easter with gusto and joy every year. He's created us to be the kind of creatures that have a collective memory with punctuation marks, right? I don't expect most of you to remember any sermons I give, right? I I actually really don't. My favorite thing in the world is when you come to me with an idea that you have, and I say, wow, where'd you hear that, you know? Um, That's (laughs) that's my favorite thing in the world. Um, But I was raised under incredible preachers. I don't remember one sermon, but I do remember high holy days. I remember the wonder of candle lit services for Christmas Eve, that holiness and wonder himself came and dwelt among us. That the great gift of Christmas isn't that we're gonna to get to go home and open up presents later. It's that something important happened that changed existence itself. We are a people that remember by the very things that we celebrate. And so the church calendar is a helpful tool remember, I would also encourage you, are there yearly markers in your life of devotion? Is there a day that you can set aside that says, on this day, God did something for me? And it might have nothing to do with the church calendar, but it's in there. And you remember it every year. On this day, the Lord started the long path of sobriety. But it was that day. And you remember his goodness that every single year. On this day, yes, we buried someone I loved, but God showed me the power of life even in it. On this day, uh, I don't know, this child was born, I don't know what it is for you. There are also times in the years that have a punctuation mark in your life that maybe nobody else knows and you don't need to share. But are they on your calendar and are they in your heart to show thanksgiving to God for how he's shown up for you in your life? How do we remember? We remember what we repeat. And so in order to prepare for a time of trial where we are tempted to forget who we are and who Jesus is, we are a people who repeatedly remember who we are and who our Savior is. Now, let's continue because I'm running low on time and I promised myself it would be a short sermon. All right, 8 and 9. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Now, Paul here is is making this this important case, right, that he's in chains, his ministry in this life is about to end, but the ministry of the word is not going to end. He's trying to encourage Timothy and the people of Ephesus. Remember, God's work in this world is not contingent upon me. You know, we often wonder, how many of you said, Tim, are you coming back after sabbatical? Yes, I came back after sabbatical and Trinity would have been just fine if I didn't. Okay? Now, I'm playing on being here. I'm not saying anything otherwise. The word of God is not bound at Trinity Anglican by if Tim suits is going to be here. And that is not me quietly saying, I'm leaving. I'm not, I promise. And Paul's saying something much more, right? I'm going to die. God's word is not going to die. I'm in prison. God's word is not in prison. But what do we see here is like this theme, this impulse that he is revealing. It's that God's word can't be bound. For 2,000 years, the devil has been trying to bind the word of God here we see an unjust government oppressing Paul through Rome, right? We haven't seen anything like this in the United States ever, right? This is outrageous persecution that Paul is facing. And what is he saying? It can't stop God's word. Can't stop, won't stop, right? It's going to keep on going. And now why can he say that? Why can he say that? It's because the word of God is the very power of God. This is one of the other things I've been trying to communicate to you all for a long time. And I hope you hear it. We treat God's word with as if it's just some word among words. We treat this book like it's a book among books. It's not. If we believe that the second person of the Trinity is the very word of God, the Lagos, then we believe that his word written here or preached through his servants is an instrument whereby the Holy Spirit brings us into the very presence of Jesus and he speaks to us. And what do we think happens when Jesus speaks to us? He forms us. He is the very one who spoke creation into existence. He is the one who said, Let there be light, and there was light. He is the one who, who stood, you know, said, Peace, be still, and the waves were still. He is the one who told demons to leave and they fled. He is the one who said, Lazarus, get up, and he rose. He is the one who said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they're actually forgiven. He is the one who will one day return and say, behold, I am making all things new, and everything becomes new. The word of God is the very power of God revealed in Jesus Christ. And so here's what I want to communicate to you. Our liturgies are pointless outside the word. When our liturgies become devoid of the power of the word, liturgies no longer have the power to form us. Liturgies are just instruments that God uses to bring us to his word. It is his word that empowers, enlivens, resurrects, and forms us. It is his word that is like a potter taking clay and forms us over time. The word of God is the, is power itself. And I think we all know how powerful words are, right? The words that we have heard have formed us deeply. The words of judgment that we've heard have formed us deeply, right? It's like little cracks in the pot, right? Those words that we heard our whole childhood of you're never quite making me satisfied, you're never quite enough, you're nobody's first choice, you're not terribly interesting, you're unworthy, whatever it might be. What do we know? Those words are the wounds that we carry the rest of our lives. Most of us, you know, can, can cope with physical wounds much better than we can cope with the wounds of words. They have an incredible power to form us or destroy us. And it's like these words that, that have been spoken over us for years. It's like when water is poured in that jar, it reveals that there's a seam. And it just leaks joy. It leaks energy. It leaks. Love, all of the things that God created us to be, the words in this world that destroy us, it's like it puts a crack in the jar of our life and we're constantly leaking something. I don't know what that is for you. But the word of God is how the Holy Spirit carries us back onto the potter's wheel. And by his word, he reminds us of who we actually are. He forms us into who we were meant to be. He reminds us of what the purpose of this jar is, whether it's to hold flowers or to hold water, whatever it is he's given you to hold. But he reminds you of what your purpose is too. What we see is that the word of God, repeatedly formed in our lives, shapes us into very specific kinds of people. And the only way that the liturgies of remembrance that we have to remind us of who we are and who Jesus is, the only way they have power is if they are tethered to this word. There are plenty of churches that still do liturgy. It's just not tethered to the word. And what is it doing? It's malforming people. It's actually putting giant gashes in the jar where they're, they think they're being filled up, but really what's happening is they're leaking everywhere because it's not tethered to the word. The only way you can know who you are, family, the only way that you can know who Jesus is is how he has chosen to reveal who you are and how he's chosen to reveal who he is by his perfect word. Family, would we be a people who are saturated in his word, formed in his word, repeatedly returned to his word so that when the trial comes, we will know that he is our benevolent, loving father and we are his children. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have formed us to be a people uh, that remember through practices. Thank you for the people in this room who remind each other who they are. Lord, for those that are hurting here today, would they rest upon the faith of those around them? Would they rest upon your Holy Spirit? Would they hear the truth today even when they're struggling to receive it? Lord, as those giant scars in the pot form and they feel like they're leaking out all the joy that you've given them, Lord, would you place them upon the potter's wheel by your word and patch them up today to the glory of your name, amen.